Hi, I'm Josh Siegel. And I'm Aaron Kirkpatrick. And welcome back to The Floater. Today we have a special Saturday podcast with just me and Aaron today. Um, yep. Sammy and Yoni couldn't make it, but we're still very excited for this. And we don't really have much planned. Aaron, I know you have a couple things that yeah. you wanted to bring in, but I have no idea how this is going to go or what's going to happen. So take it away. Well, just quick reminder. As we always start out the pod, remember to check out the Floater Pod on Instagram and floaterpod.com, as well as the Twitter. You only made the Twitter uh, at the Floater Pod and listen to any older podcasts you haven't listened to yet. So um, I just let's let's cover headlines first, Josh. OK, um, I you probably saw Redskins wide receiver Cody Latimer has been arrested. Yeah. Rip Sammy. Yeah, is Cody Lammer now, like, the third NFL player to be arrested within, like, the past couple days? Yeah, well, Sammy was really excited when Quentin Dunbar got arrested because he said that finally a player was arrested after they left the Redskins, not after they signed him, and then two days later, Cody Latimer. So, it's just the way it is. The way of the road. Yeah. Um... In other big news, the German Bundesliga, which is the German Soccer League, returned. I watched two games this morning and then put up an article about it. It was weird. Okay, so I'm assuming you didn't watch because you don't wake up that early? No. Okay, I'm right then. So basically, Josh, there are no fans. You only have the players, a couple people working the TV, the coaches, and like I think it's five ball boys or something like that. But these are, like, massive stadiums, so, like, you can hear everything. Like, you can hear the players and the coaches talking. And I thought the only good way to describe it was, think about the JDS games. We're not, like, the best basketball team, and we don't bring the best crowds out, right? So it's actually We try. We try. But when we're not chanting, you can hear all of the talking on the court. You can hear all of the coach yelling, and you can hear the parents talking. You know? Yeah. That's how I described what the setting felt like for me. Like, it was it was weird. Yeah, so I think it would be interesting to see if that would be the same for us. A, B, C, or A, because we're not sure whether they'll play in stadiums or whether they'll play in, like, practice facilities. I'm assuming you're talking about for basketball? Basketball, football, baseball, mm-hmm. anything. Um, and... I think there is a point where we'll get used to it. You know, I've watched an empty game before. Um, the Orioles in 2015. During the lockout? Play, not the lockout, the Baltimore riots. Yeah, played one game in front of an empty stadium, and it was like a really weird experience. Um, yeah. But I think we'll get used to it. It will take some time, but it for me, it was honestly just so nice to wake up at 9.30 a.m., and have live sports on. Yeah, it's it's just like the draft was weird for the first few picks, but by, you know, pick five or six, we had adjusted, and it was just a draft. And it was just people bashing on awful GM choices. Yeah, we all went back to our favorite job of shitting on Dave Gettleman. Uh, it, was, it was a great time. Yeah. So that just, like, those are, like, the two headlines that I really have seen today. Um Something that's trending on Twitter is Channing Fry made a comment um, to, I guess it was some radio show called Talking Blazers. 
he said about uh, uh, Michael Jordan during his prime. I quote, I don't feel like his way of winning then would translate to what it is now. Guys wouldn't want to play with him, end quote. And I thought that's insane. Yeah, that's interesting. It's kind of like when Kendrick Perkins tweeted out a while ago, like his top five small uh, power forwards or small forwards. I forget which one he did. And it's just really funny because like these players always start trending on Twitter because they make one comment and everyone decides to talk about it. Yeah, well, Channing Fry, you know, Channing Cheese Fries, it's kind of irrelevant. I mean, kind of. I mean, well, no. In the grander scheme of things, he made a few important threes off of LeBron passes in those couple years. I think the funniest thing I saw about him, though, is he isn't even the best player in his family. His cousin is Tobias Harris. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah. That's funny. So he's not even, like, the best player in his family. That's funny. I I thought when I was – when I realized I was going to bring up Channing Fry, I decided, like, I need to look up his basketball reference. And uh, just a heads up, another great thing about Channing Fry, do you want to know his one and only nickname, Josh? Sure. Buffet of goodness. I don't know how to react to that. Right? I mean, so, where does that nickname come from? Like, how, uh, how does one look at someone or talk with someone and say, that is the buffet of goodness? Because, Yes. Shanning, I, I really, I, I can't tell you. Shanning buffet of goodness fry. Well, include his middle name while you're at it. So it's actually Channing buffet of goodness Thomas fry. Oh, of course, of course, my bad. The same way it's uh, everyone knows Michael Jeffrey Jordan. Yeah, Channing Thomas fry. Now up there with Joel Dual One Eighty Embiid. What? What a guy. <laughs> um. So I had something else planned, uh, had everyone been on, which was I was going to come in with a couple potential trades. Uh, I only got to make two uh, just because it's actually a lot harder to get all the monies working okay. and like making them somewhat realistic. Is this on the ESPN trade machine? Yeah. So I also couldn't trade players because of like the 90 or 60 day restriction of like recently traded. Yeah. So that made it a bit harder. But so here's my first one that I came up with. Um, so this is imagining somehow teams are still allowed to trade and they're going into the playoffs. Okay. So that's where this came from. Uh, Utah. So this is a Utah and New York Knicks trade. Utah trades Ed Davis, Nigel Williams Goss, and a 2022 first round pick to the Knicks for Mitchell Robinson and Reggie Bullock. Now, the reasoning why I make this trade for the Jazz is because they need a backup center. And right now, their backup centers are Tony Bradley and Ed Davis, which is just not really what you want coming off the bench after you have someone of the caliber of Rudy Gobert. So Mitchell Robinson is like a slight, not slightly, but a less talented rim protector than Rudy Gobert. So what do you think? I mean, I don't think the Knicks would give up Mitchell Robinson for a couple knock-in players and a probably non-lottery first-round pick. Like, the Jazz would need to throw in an extra pick, probably. So, if it's Jazz giving up Ed Davis, Nigel Williams-Goss, and two first-round picks for Mitchell Robinson and Reggie Bullock? Maybe. 
Maybe. Okay. So I wasn't sure about that one, but that was one I came up with. Now, this one you're probably not going to like as much, but I thought it was interesting. Uh, it's a Portland and Denver trade. Portland gives CJ McCollum. And my backing behind why they give CJ McCollum is I don't think they're going anywhere with CJ McCollum and Dame Lillard and Damian Lillard. I just I think they've exhausted that too many times to keep running it back. So they get in return, and I know the players they aren't getting in return are good. I preface that now. But they're getting back Gary Harris, Will Barton, a 2023 first-round pick, and a 2026 second-rounder. I just All for CJ McCollum. I just don't know why they do that. Like, they're paying McCollum right now. He's their clear number two guy. Like, I know they might not win a championship, but they're sort of in one of those phases where they'll be contenders every year, and they want to get guys to build around Damon CJ. I'm not big mm-hmm. fans of Gary Harris or Will Barton, really. Um, I feel like that would be like making a trade for the sake of making a trade. I don't know actually why they would do that. But... Uh-huh. Well, again, this was just a couple potential trades. Um, the, those were all I could do. Like I said, I tried. What The trade I really wanted to do was I wanted to try and find a way to get Devin Booker onto the Minnesota Timberwolves. Oh, God. Just because, A, the how bad the defense would be, but also because like, Devin Booker, D'Angelo Russell, and Carl Anthony Towns are all like super close friends. So that would be entertaining. But the problem is... If you look at the Minnesota Timberwolves, like the assets they can trade, the only like the so they obviously won't trade Towns or Russell in this scenario. So the next highest money making player they can trade is Jarrett Culver at five million, and uh, Devin Booker is making something around twenty eight million right now. Yeah. So that would literally never happen. Yeah, it. Uh, I doubt that would work out. Yeah, sadly, it it would have been funny, but yeah, how yeah. bad would that team be? Let's be honest. The Timberwolves, they're already bad. Yeah, I mean, so they they would score. It would be giving them three scorers with no bench and no defense, so they'd probably make the playoffs but not go anywhere. Even in the West, they'd make the playoffs. You think? I think that's enough scoring firepower that they'd make it. So are we saying they'd score something like 118 points a game, but give up like 100? Yeah, they'd score like 120, give up 115. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I just thought that would be like a fun one to think about if that could ever happen. Yeah. Uh, the next thing I have for you, Josh, um, and I don't know, you follow college football pretty well right yes, like very very closely so uh talia tagovailoa has transferred out of to maryland Alabama right? to maryland yeah uh i don't know what that actually means as far as maryland's program because this past year umd as a football program in general they started out not awful they were ranked at one point yeah. i think they started out the season two and Two and zero or three and zero, and then I they remember I was to with Syracuse, you. Like, 
was it Syracuse or Rutgers? I thought it was Rutgers. Oh, well, no, so they lost one game, lost one game. on our way back from the Shabbaton. That was, like, a close game. Yeah. And then the next week they lost, like, 60-something to 20-something. It, it made no sense how they could go from doing fairly well to just getting blown out. Yeah, I'm looking... they weren't good, and they killed a guy less than two years ago, so... Yeah. You know, tough times. They, Yeah, they started out the season by beating Howard 79 to nothing, then beating 21st-ranked Syracuse 63 to 20. Yeah. Then losing the Temple 17 to 20, and then getting blown out by Penn State 0 to 59. Yeah. Their closest loss was the Temple game. Yeah. Based uh, off what I'm looking at. They just... Oh no! Actually, in their defense, in their defense, they put up 16 points against Michigan State's 19 points in the last game of the season. Yeah. Well, the Maryland's not very good at football. Um, and talking about Maryland, so you know how I've been doing rough dra- uh, mock draft yeah. for the. Um, what What do you think about Jalen Smith? From Maryland, the I think he I, I think I think he fits into the NBA as a stretch the floor guy. You think he so? He plays a lot on the perimeter. Um, I have a lot of questions about his rebounding and ability to play inside. Um, and I have defensive questions with him, but I think he's a guy who could come off the bench and knock down a couple threes for you. I'm worried he's too small. Yeah, well, he's if, if that makes he's sense. a four in the NBA. Yeah, he's 6'10", 225. Yeah. Yeah. And I just think his career numbers, they're not bad. They're 13.5 points a game, 8.6 rebounds a game, and less than an assist a game on 51, 32, 70 splits for shooting. Right. Uh, the guy... Which aren't awful. He'll develop his three-pointer more and stand on the perimeter and knock down a few threes. I mean, he's he's like a backup big that you just put on the team with mm-hmm. shooting. Got it. So, I, I, I love talking NBA. Yeah. So, I think it's something that we haven't covered enough on the podcast. What do you think is most likely going to happen for the NBA let's say they do come back where do you think they end up playing because it's it's not it's narrowed down to basically Las Vegas and Orlando yeah so it's going to be Vegas or Orlando um what they're going to do is they're going to have to build like a makeshift basketball facility um like I talked about before you know how in Space Jam they built Michael Jordan. Yeah. Right. They would have to build a few of those. Um, if you were to do it in Vegas, they would probably do it at like Caesar's palace. Cause it's connected to a four seasons and it's about a block away from the airport. So you put a team on each floor in Caesar's palace in the four seasons. Then around them, you build the makeshift courts. And just quarantine the teams mm-hmm. together and do a playoffs, finish out the regular season. They would get it. Done. Wait, you want them to play the entire no, but get to seventy season? games. It seems like that's what they want to do. Okay, so 
Everyone gets to 70 games. Get to 70 games. And, and then one thing that it sounds like they would be considering, which I would be in favor of, is to incentivize mm-hmm. more teams to actually even try to play basketball for those last few games. Um, they would put in what they had been talking about doing before, where you have a one-game playoff between the 7 and 10 and 8 and 9 for the last two mm-hmm. seeds which really would just be there trying to get Zion into the playoffs formula. Yeah. Um, and which would be very fun. I'm all for it. Listen, if you give me Zion and the Lakers in the first round, I am most definitely watching. The amount of money they make off that Yeah, I, I, I am most definitely watching. Um, I think that series and probably an LA-LA series are probably the two possible biggest money makers for them. Yeah, and if you do it in Orlando, um, they would put them in the Walt Disney Resort. It just, the hotels yeah. are empty. Um, put the teams there and built the stadiums there. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why I, I think it's leaning towards Orlando. I like the idea of the seven template. Wait, so they play the is it they play two seventy, and then the seven through ten there. Yeah, there's a like a wild card play... game between the seven and ten, sort of, and the okay. eight and nine, and just the two winners of those games make the playoffs as the last two seeds. Okay, so that disqualifies. The sad thing is, is technically by that measure, even. I think Cleveland, if I'm doing the math right, would still have a chance to get into the 10 seed in the Well, East. I think that's what, they, that's what the NBA wants because there are a lot of teams who have no purpose of even showing up where, like, Steve Kerr says the Warriors have fully moved on to next year. So it's incentivizing yeah. teams to even just care a little bit about those last few games of the regular season. Or they can make it, like, somehow, like, and you know how they were always talking about like the in-season tournament. They could try and figure a way to set up the games like that and have a cash prize. But honestly, they probably don't have the revenue for that. Yeah. I mean, listen, the, the, any time in sports when something like this happens, um, Uh um, uh, you have to, change things up where in baseball in 1981 when there was the strike and the season got Mm -hmm. delayed got cancelled for two months they came up with maybe the stupidest proposal I've ever heard where so at the time there was no division series Um, there were just two divisions in each league and the winners played the championship series and what they did was they split the season into two halves. So the team that was in first place before the strike, they let, so like they, they basically made it two seasons. There was before strike and after strike. So the standings reset after they came back from the strike and the team that finished in first strike played the team that finished in first place in the second half of the year in the divisional series and then the winners uh-huh. of that played in the championship series. 
And it wounds up leaving the team that finished with the best record in baseball out of the playoffs. Wow. Yeah, the Reds finished with the best record in baseball, but didn't come in first place in either of the halves. Um, That's awful that they made that a thing. Yeah, it was, it was a disaster. Luckily enough, no team finished in first place in both halves. I don't know how that would have worked out. But, like, what wound up happening was if you finished in first place in the first half, you mailed it in in the second half, where um, uh, none of the teams that finished in first place in the first half went more than two games over 500 in the second half. Because they were just focused on taking it easy yeah. since they knew they were going to yeah, be playing. Yeah, it, huh. it was a really stupid system. Um Sounds but stupid. they did it, and they wound up with the Dodgers and the Yankees in the World Series. Um, and then in 1982, when the NFL had a strike and they only played nine games in the season, they made it just a one through eight playoff bracket. Well, wow. Why, why can they like never do something smart when this happens? Yeah, well, when that happened, people don't count that as the, they still count the Seahawks as the first team to do it because that year the four and five Lions um, made the playoffs. And yeah. Um, Is it sad that if you so the think four and about five it? Rounds. Is it said that you think about like Detroit for both football and soccer, uh, not soccer, wow, basketball have kind of just become like, I don't know, like sports career hell? Yeah, well, I mean, the Pistons at least have a history. The Lions. But the Pistons are in yeah, purgatory right the now. The Lions might have, I mean, do you know about the curse of Bobby Lane? Uh, I have actually never so heard of in that. Ni- the Lions used to be a great team. In 1957, they won the NFL championship. But their quarterback, who was named Bobby Lane, who's a Hall of Famer, and he had a bunch of off-the-field mm-hmm. things. So he would show up to games drunk and then shake it off and throw for three touchdown passes. But there Casual. came a point where they had had enough of that. And in 1958, they traded him to Pittsburgh, which at the time was NFL hell. I mean, they the Steelers for the first forty years of their existence had one winning season. Um, wait, one winning yeah, season? yeah the steel only the one Steelers time. were the first forty years of the Steelers were terrible. They were beyond bad. Uh, I think that's hard for me to grasp, just because well, we've been alive. Not only when we've been in alive, really, the last fifty years since nineteen seventy two. Um, yeah, but. How many Super Bowl championships do they have? Six? Um, So he gets traded to the Steelers, and he's so mad. On the way out, he says, the Lions will never win a championship for 50 years. Well, it's been a bit longer than 50 years. Since 1958, they've won one playoff game. And they've only won one playoff game, the 1991 divisional round. Otherwise... um, when they hit the 50-year mark, they went 0-16. Wow. 
So the Lions hmm. are truly might be the worst franchise in professional sports. Uh, I can't think. Wait, I feel like we've covered this. That the Timberwolves are bad, but at least they've won two playoff series within the last twenty years. Like the Lions have one playoff win in the last sixty-two years. So you're saying if you the worst place to be, if you were just like being born into a sports fandom, the worst place would be the Lions yeah. as of right now. Actually, no, Vikings. Because the Vikings, I've always held by this strongly. It's always better uh-huh. to root for a crappy team than root for a great team that breaks your heart. Where couldn't you say the same for New Orleans? But the Saints, the Saints, the Saints fans have fault? seen the Super Bowl. Like well, the fact of the okay. matter is, if I were to go up to a Lions fan and say, "Give me your worst Lions loss," they could maybe name me two. At most, we're like the Lions mm-hmm. haven't got to the point to depress their fans, whereas the Vikings are the best and most relevant franchise in sports to not have a championship in their existence over the past fifty years. They like the fourth or fifth best winning percentage in the NFL. Um, but mm-hmm. it's they have a longer list of heartbreaking losses than any other team, where they go to the four Super Bowls from 69 through 76 and don't win any. In the 1975, they have their best team of any of those teams, but lose to the Cowboys in the divisional round on the original Hail Mary, a 50-yard touchdown to Drew Pearson with 20 seconds left where there was a blatant offensive pass interference that wasn't called, and they lost to the Cowboys 17-14. Mm-hmm. In 1988, they were playing the Redskins in the NFC Championship game and down by seven, dropped a touchdown on fourth and goal that would have tied it. In, in oh, 1998, God. they had the best team in football and at, up to that point, the best offense in NFL history. And they went 15-1. and one, And they were in the NFC Championship against the Falcons and they were up 27-20 with two minutes left. And they were kicking a field goal that would have iced it. And their kicker was Gary Anderson, who had not missed a field goal in two years. And to miss the 38-yard field goal. Um, and the, well, Josh, you know all yeah, about missed field goals. Um, and the Falcons drove back the other way. And the Vikings dropped an interception that would have sealed it. And then the Falcons scored a game-tying touchdown and won in overtime, which I think is the worst loss in NFL history. Um, then wait, that's yeah. the worst loss in NFL history. You would no, say 28 to 3. Here's the thing Falcons fans suck, and that was the really only the second traumatizing Falcons moment of their life. Like, the only other one I would say is the 2012 mm-hmm. NFC Championship game, they blew lead to the 49ers. But, like, at the end of the day, if you were to go to work the next day in Georgia, there would be a, people who were upset but it wouldn't be like a funeral setting, whereas the Vikings have one of the best fan bases in football. And the next day, I guarantee you, no one showed to work on time. Everyone was depressed. Like, it's just a different world with Vikings fans compared to Falcons fans. Um, Where it's like, Atlanta has incredible hip-hop culture. It has the Coca-Cola Museum. It has CNN headquarters. Have you been to yeah. the Coca-Cola Museum? It's, it's really that place cool. Is fun. 
it has CNN headquarters. It's the head of Turner Sports. Um, Atlanta has a lot going on. Yeah, it has a lot going on. Doesn't. Um, but then in 2003, the Vikings started six and zero, and then collapsed down the stretch, and were nine and six. And in the last game of the year, we're playing the three and twelve Cardinals, needing to win to get into the playoffs. And well, so they and were they up lost? seventeen to six with two minutes left. And on fourth down, they gave up a touchdown to the Cardinals to make it seventeen to twelve. They missed the two point conversion, and then the Cardinals recovered the onside kick to get it back. But then it seemed like the Vikings had won because they sacked the Cardinals with ten seconds left to make it fourth and twenty four on their twenty eight. And but the Cardinals rushed to the line and had an incredible last second hail mary touchdown on fourth and twenty four to knock the Vikings out of the playoffs. Um. That it, I see why I'm it not sucks to be done. a Vikings fan. Do you remember the 2009 <laughs> NFC Championship game? I'm going to tell you. So the Vikings no. were playing the Saints, and this is when they had Brett Favre. And they were a much, much better team. Um, at least in that game, it was clear. I remember. The... Yeah. Wait, Josh. Before you continue, just to test my pre- like big football fan knowledge was the 20, 2009 Super Bowl yeah. Saints Colts. So hey, the I Vikings were right. probably a better okay. team at that point. Like the Saints had lost three straight to end the year. Um, and the Vikings really outplayed them that game. And they had some really bad blunders. And eventually they got to the point where it was a tie game and they were still in a position to win. They had first and 10 at the Vikings 33 yard line. Um, and Mm -hmm. they should have just run it to Adrian Peterson, but alas, um, on first down, they lose one yard and then instead of just milk and then they have 12 men in the huddle coming out of a timeout. Wait, 12 men in the huddle, which is inexcusable in that situation. So they no, move the ball back sad. to the 39 and they can still sit on it for a 56 mm-hmm. yard field goal, but they feel like they need to move it up. And Brett Favre throws one of the worst interceptions in NFL history. Um, yeah. This was 2009. And I'm looking up 2009. Brett it's Favre terrible. He throws it across his body, knocks them out of field goal range, sends the game to overtime, and you can guess what happens next. Saints win coin flip, kick field goal, win game. Um, and that... Wow, that that was... Even on the replay, the Yeah, the it was a patented... Listen, Brett Favre's thrown three interceptions in overtime in the NFL playoffs. I mean, he... He has the most interceptions in NFL history. There's a reason for that. The guy was an incredible quarterback, but made a lot of really stupid throws. Um, he had the three interceptions in the mm-hmm. playoffs, and also in the 0-1 divisional round, he threw six picks against the Rams. Um, but So they lose that game, which I think is the second worst loss in NFL history. Um, uh, what is the... There's a worse loss than that? The Well, there was the 98 championship game and then the 0-9 championship game. Oh, the 98 championship game, Gary yeah. Anderson's missed field goal, So right? the Vikings, in my opinion, have the worst two losses in NFL history. Um, and then we get to 
Hopefully this is more around your time. There's the Blair Walsh missed field goal. Yeah, and then, of course. even when it seems like the Vikings have broken their curse, they finally get the type of win that goes their way when they have the Minneapolis miracle. Yeah, I was yeah. going to say, are you talking and about Stephon I remember everyone that week, including me, was like, they're finally going to win the Super Bowl. They finally got that type of win. And that's generally what happens in sports, and that type of thing happens, right? The Red Sox came back from 3 nothing against the Yankees and went on to win the Super Bowl. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's sort of when that type of thing happens, it seems like, oh, this is not the old Vikings, this is the new Vikings. It's like yeah. everything's going their way. And they, of course they, they followed it up by losing now. 38-7 to the Eagles in the NFC Championship game. And then they signed Kirk Cousins, who's supposed to change the franchise around. In the first year, they have a really depressing 8-7-1 year and then lose Week 17. Is Kirk year. going into his I, third, third and year, final season of the extended yet, but I think last year made clear that they're going to keep him. I mean, down the stretch, he was great. As yeah. I said at the time, the throw to Adam Thielen in the playoffs was an $84 million throw. Um, so they're mm-hmm. going to keep him. But I have no stake in this. But I just hope for the sake of the Vikings fans that one day they win the Super Bowl. Because if you're mm-hmm. like a 70-year-old Vikings fan right now who spent your whole life as a Vikings fan... The amount of scars you have, it's it's rough. And notice how I didn't go into any well, detail because they got killed in all of those games. The fact that they made the Super Bowl four times in eight years in the 60s and 70s and lost every time. And yet those aren't even some of the most traumatic losses in Vikings history. That is the more astounding yeah. part of it all. Um, sorry, one thing while we're on Kirk Cousins. You know he has his own podcast called really? Under Center. Yeah. Um, I only know this because so you know how during the middle of the season the Vikings were going yeah. through turmoil yeah. and with their offense, like they weren't passing enough or Kirk's yeah. throws weren't good enough. Basically, if I remember correctly, Kirk Cousins on his own podcast basically said um i think after a game they played better and he said it's all thanks to adam thielen after stefan diggs had like a great game and so that caused even more turmoil that was like when stefan diggs didn't show up to practice for that one time it's just it's funny how you said when he came in he was supposed to be the guy who was gonna save the vikings he ended up tearing them apart Stephon Diggs got traded yeah, away well, to the Bills. Stephon Diggs it's needed be fun to, to watch this be gone. I mean, season. He threw way too many temper tantrums. Like, just the the idea that in a playoff he game did. he could be throwing a fit over not getting the ball enough is absurd. I mean, it was right for them to get them out there. I really like Justin Jefferson. I think they'll be fine, especially because me too. I mean, I'll talk about it tomorrow on our podcast. I I I looked up a lot of like I just did a lot of digging into it last night and the Packers just weren't very good last year and I think if the Vikings have either of their top two running backs healthy for their week 16 game against the Packers they might beat them and go on to win the division who's their second I forget um, I, I forget who it was but he was hurt back. too um 
I know they have Dalvin Cook, obviously. Um, I I wouldn't know. I'll look it up. Um, you, you keep finishing your point, and I'll look it up. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Latavius. Murray. No, wasn't he on the Saints last year? Alexander Madison. That's who it was. Who is um, that? I've never heard of him. No, he was. He, yeah, Latavius sure Murray was on the, the Saints last year. Alexander Madison was pretty good as a backup. But he was hurt too, and they had to go to Mike Boone for their game against the Packers, and the Packers won twenty three to ten. Um, I think the I still mm-hmm. think the Vikings were better than the Packers last year. Um, and I guess the one thing I'll step on to say that I think the Vikings will win the division this year. Um, like I think they're uh-huh. a good team, but at the end of the day, way too many scars with their fans. I mean. It's just incredible to think about. We're really the only franchise that at any point had more scars than the Vikings was the Red Sox pre-2004. Huh. Um, again, my knowledge doesn't extend that far, so if you say Do you want so, me to go through the Red Sox I'll pain? take your word for it. Well, I know the Red Sox... What was, yeah, was the they Bambino had 86 curse, right? years of just getting... It, it, there was so much into it. So we got to start off in 1946. So they're in the World Series in Game 7 mm-hmm. against the Cardinals. It's tied 3-3 in the 8th. And they hit, a, they hit a ball into the gap. Enos Slaughter, who's on first base, was running on the pitch. And he comes around to score, but the shortstop, Johnny Pesky bobbled the ball on the relay throw and it took him an extra second to get out of his glove and that was the difference between the winning run scoring in the World Series. Um, in 1949, wow. they choked down the... St- or 1948 and 1949, they lost three-game playoffs that decided who won the pennant because back then it was the team with the best record in each league just playing the World Series. 1948, they lost to the Indians. 1949, they choked down the stretch and lost to the Yankees. Um, 1967, Mm -hmm. they have this incredible dream team, makes the World Series, loses in seven to the Cardinals. Um, Is there anyone from the dream team I might know? It's not not like a dominant team, but it's like this dream of a season. The nickname for that team was the Impossible Dream, because they sort of came out of nowhere and took the AL by storm. Mm -hmm. Um, And then... One of got their it. best young players named Tony Canigliero got look up the picture right now on your computer. The Tony Canigliero beanball. He got hit in the face. How do you spell that last name? C O N or C A N? I don't know. Just try try some variation. Hopefully it'll show up. Oh, yeah. So look up his face after he got hit by a pitch. He was a young. It's disgusting. You can't see his eyes. He was a young star and was never the same after that. Um, 1975, they made the World Series, and in Game Six, they were down three-two in the series and had a win in one of the most famous games in baseball history. Um, they were down six-three in the eighth inning, hit a three-run homer to tie it, and then, and then Carlton Fisk in the twelfth inning hit one of the most famous homers. No, Pudge yeah, Ivan Rodriguez. Oh, well. I know Carlton Fisk. Um, it's gonna sound bad, but the only way I know him is because yeah. Of good well, he he hit one of the famous homers in baseball history, um, to win the game, 
in the 12th inning, one of the most famous games ever, there's a famous shot of him trying to wave the ball fair because it wound up hitting the foul pole. Um, then in 1978, they blow a 14-game lead in August to the Yankees and wind up having to play a one-game playoff in the division. Oh, should I mention in Game 7 of 1975, huh. after that incredible game, similar to the Vikings, it seems like it was over, but then they blew a 3 nothing lead in the last few innings and lost 4-3. to three. Um, Sounds like well, they just we're never not could even catch a break. At their worst two losses, which I think are the worst two losses in sports history. Um. So the wait, so the Vikings two losses are the two worst losses in football history, but now yeah, we're covering yeah. the two worst losses in sport history. Okay, just making sure that we've got so, this all covered for our listeners. In 1978, the Red Sox blow a 14 game division series lead to the Yankees. And they're playing them in a one-game playoff. Um, And they're up by two runs in the seventh inning. And it seems like they're cruising. There are two outs and two on. And the Yankees have light-hitting shortstop named Bucky Dutt coming up. And Bucky Dutt has hit four home runs all year. And he hits a little pop fly to left field that keeps carrying and carrying and somehow just makes its way over the green monster to give the Yankees a 3-2 lead. Um, oh, it's one. Of, was it one of those home runs where it's like no one no. thinks it's it going looks like and a then pop it just, it's going and it's going? Um, and after the ball went out, there's Jeez. a famous image of Carl Yastrzemski just slumping over. No, the left fielder who's a Red Sox legend who at that point was a veteran. Um. And then it's 5-4 in the bottom of the ninth with a runner on third and two outs, and Yastrzemski pops out to end the game. So that's just a depressing loss, where at this point, just the Yankees have the Red Sox number in every sense of the word. I mean, since the trade happened, you know, 26 championships to the Yankees, none to the Red Sox. We haven't even gotten to the worst loss yet for the Red Sox to the Yankees. Um. But now we're about to get to the two mm-hmm. worst losses in baseball history. Wait, is he? Wait, so, or in so sports, history, in sports history. You said they were the worst. But, so they are, in your opinion, yeah. the two worst yeah. losses. When you combine, all time? when you combine the okay. baggage, I'm ready for this. The quality of the fan base and the loss itself. I don't think there's much of a debate. So the first one is okay. the Bill Buckner. I'm, I'm ready for this. So the Red Sox are up 3-2 in the World Series against the Mets. They have... they they're, they're Game 6 at Shea Stadium, where the Mets play. In the 10th inning, it's 3-3. Three, three. The Red Sox score two runs to go up 5-3. In the bottom of the 10th, the first two Mets batters get out. So now it's 5-3, to three, two outs... One more out to win the World Series. The Red Sox have like a 97 or 98% win probability. Next batter hits a Mm -hmm. harmless single. Um, And let it be said, the pitcher on the mound at this time was a guy named Calvin Chiraldi, who was noted for being a heart attack guy. And you can just see on his face as he's pitching, he's absolutely terrified. Um, And it sort of all happened Mm -hmm. in slow motion. So the Mets hit a single. 
Then they hit another single. Then they hit an RBI single to make it 5-4 and make it first and third with two outs. Then Mookie Wilson comes up. And he has a long, long, long at bat. And finally, the Red Sox throw a wild pitch to make it 5-5 and tie the game up. So already it's like, how the fuck did we blow this? And then you're going to want to look up the video of this play. It's one of the most famous plays in baseball history with runner on second and two outs. Mookie Wilson hit a little grounder up the first baseline. And it was the easiest grounder someone could look at. And it went through first baseman Bill Buckner's legs into the outfield to score the game winning run. So look up the Bill Buckner play. Uh, wait, give me one sec. Must see classic Mets win game six yep. on Mookie Wilson's yep. grounder that goes through Bill Buckner's legs. Oh, it's one of the most famous oh, calls of all time. Turn, call. turn your sound on your computer on if you want. Oh, I, wow. I, yeah. I'm just re-watching this play. I don't know. I mean, he, he wound up being up? unfairly vilified. We're like, he base he had he literally had to move to Idaho because he was hated so much in Boston, You're which kidding. is unfair because a he was one of the best players on the team and they only get there because of him at that point. B, um, even if he fields that ground ball, they'd already blown the lead and he doesn't beat Mookie Wilson to first base, so they have first and third with two outs and the Mets probably get a hit with the way that was going. And C, he shouldn't have been out there. Where at that point, he wasn't great on defense because he was a veteran. And the Red Sox had been replacing, manager had Mm -hmm. been putting in a defensive replacement for him at the end of every game. But this time he didn't um, because he wanted him to be out there when they won the World Series. And you can see how that went. Wow. And then in game seven, they blow a 3-1 lead. Not as painful of a loss. The Mets just win regularly in nine innings and everyone knew they were going to lose at that point. Um, but up to that point, that's the worst loss in sports history. My mom's a Mets fan and calls it one of the best moments of her life. Um, actually, a fun story from that mm-hmm. game is my grandfather, who was a diehard Mets fan and was disabled, when they were down 5-3, walked yeah. out of the room. He didn't want to see them lose the World Series. And he went to his own room. And as the rally was happening, my mom and grandmother mm-hmm. yelled at him to come back into the room. But it took him a while to get back and he missed the entire comeback because, you know, he wasn't able to walk back at the same speed as huh. a not handicapped person. So yeah, yeah. He missed the whole thing, but it's, it was just an absolutely traumatizing loss for people. Um, I mean, there are incredible documentaries on it, um, but somehow they matched it. So in 2003, the Red Sox are playing the Yankees. Yeah. Wait, sorry, before we move on, Josh, as you've been talking about this, I've been re-watching, they have yeah. this one shot from behind him, and if you just watch it over and over again, it just yeah. happens, he just yeah. closes just... his glove a second early. Yeah. It wasn't even it's poor incredible. positioning or anything, it was just, it's incredible. he misread it's... the speed of the ball. It's, it's... it's sort of mind-boggling, it's, if I, if I was a Red Sox fan... I don't know if I would have even made it to 2004, especially after what I'm about to say. Because in 2003, they're playing the Yankees I... in the ALCS. And uh, and it's game seven. Mm-hmm. 
Um, oh, also, something I should mention is that Bucky Dent, the guy who hit the homer, earned a new nickname in Boston, Bucky fucking Dent. Um, so, in this game, the Red Sox go up 4-0. Um, and eventually they're up 5-2 in the eighth inning. And Pedro Martinez, who's a great pitcher, but at this point isn't the same guy he was, gives up a RBI single to make it 5-3. And there's a runner on first and one out in the eighth inning. He's at 115 pitches. And it should be mentioned that at the end of the seventh inning, it seemed like he was done. He was getting the hugs from everyone on the bench. He had been told that he wasn't allowed to go beyond seven innings or a hundred pitches. And he was at both at that point. It... Yeah. I feel like if a pitcher yeah. gets to 115 pitches in general, he assumed he was done. So he wasn't even in the mindset to come back out, but for some reason, their manager, Grady Little, one of the stupidest human beings to ever walk this earth has, I, mm-hmm. you know, I like to call coaching, fuck ups a brain aneurysm this is beyond a brain aneurysm yeah this is like a medical mm-hmm. poisoning that permanently rattles his brains huh he sends Pedro Martinez back out there and he so and then when he Five three one out runner on first one hundred fifteen pitches. He comes out to the mound. They have in the bullpen. They have lefty Alan Embry warming up, who's a lefty specialist. The Yankees have Hideki Matsui, who's a lefty, and then Bernie Williams, or and then Jorge Posada, who's a switch hitter who hits worse than the right side coming up. It seems like Pedro's done, and then he leaves Pedro in. It's it's an indefensible. It's shocking to watch it. I actually posted on my private story a couple weeks ago. ESPN was showing a rerun of that game, and I was watching it, and every mm-hmm. time they show it, I'm still shocked that he leaves Pedro in. Um, no, based off everything you're saying, it makes no sense Like It's Pedro just unbelievable. Especially... Have there been any reports from Pedro himself about what uh, Little said to him when he came out um, well, to the mound the thing for that is, meeting? What Little no? said to him was, do you want to stay in? And Pedro's like, he's like, do you think you can get him? And Pedro's like, yeah, I think you can get him. But like, what the hell is the pitcher supposed to say? Right? If like you're the guy, you need to exude confidence. At the same time, it's a manager's job to make that decision. Yeah, Like Joe... Joe Torrey earlier the in the game the called Roger Clemens because he wasn't pitching well. And he knew he was up. And that's a manager's job. Um, but mm-hmm. Brady Little ignored the game plan. And like I said, Pedro Martinez thought he was done after seven. And when he comes out to the mound, everyone thinks he's taking Pedro out. But he walks back to the dugout. And immediately every Red Sox fan recoils in terror because everyone knows it's a very stupid thing. Of course... Next two batters, he gives up a single yeah. or two straight doubles, sorry. Tie game, 5-5. Five, five. They've blown the lead. Finally, mercifully takes Pedro out. The bullpen holds it for a couple of innings. But at that point, everyone everyone knows what's going to happen. And then it's the 11th inning to lead done. off. 
light hitting third baseman Aaron Boone hits a walk off homer to win the game for the Yankees, which gave him the affectionate nickname in Boston, Aaron fucking Boone. Um, so yeah, and the fact that they lost in that manner, that it came with a chance to go to the World Series and it came against the Yankees which in my opinion, Red Sox-Yankees is easily far and away the greatest rivalry in professional sports. It's not very close. Is incredible. My favorite, th- one of the hobbies I like is Bill Simmons mm-hmm. has an incredible column that he wrote after that game that just put in every, in every word how painful it was to Red Sox fans and how stupid the Pedro thing was. And then I love reading, he did a mailbag after that game and it's just emails from readers saying, like, I was watching the game with my girlfriend last night. Two months ago, when I took her to her first baseball game, she asked who the green monster was. Last night, she turned to me and said, why is he leaving Pedro in? Like, it's just full of emails like that. It's really funny, but at the same time, yeah. it's, like I said, if I was a Red Sox fan at the time, I don't know if I would have survived 2003 to see 2004. Because you know what happened in 2004, right? Well, more than win. They win. They come back from 3 nothing against the Yankees I... for the first time in baseball history. With we'll, we'll all talk about it on the podcast we're doing next week with the rewatchables because it's the first example of David Ortiz just being a clutch yeah. god in games four and five of those series. And then in game six, Kurt Schilling, the pitcher for the Red Sox, mm-hmm. is one of the most incredible performances of all time, where he had had ankle surgery a week before, but he comes out and pitches, and in the middle of his start, the bandage rips, and his sock starts oozing blood, but he pitches through it, yeah, and he pitches seven innings, one run, four hits, one of the most incredible performances ever. It's called the Bloody Sock Game. So that year, the Red Sox eased all their pain. But at the time, 86 and 2003 were the, the two worst losses in sports history. And I will always, always stand by that, unless maybe the Vikings blow a 28-3 to lead in the Super Bowl. Okay. Uh, I can respect each and every part of what you've said so far, and for me, it's been an enjoyable lesson learning more about sports history, some stuff that I've literally never heard of. But I think that's where we'll wrap it up for today. This has been uh, an interesting uh, sit-down Saturday. You know, no Yoni, no Sammy. They'll be back with us tomorrow, um, as Josh alluded to in the pod earlier. Tomorrow, as we've mentioned a couple times, is our NFC predictions uh, for records. Uh it's going to be interesting. We'll probably have some dissent, but some other things will probably be pretty straightforward. Uh, I haven't got much else to say. Do you have anything, any last thoughts? You want I don't to think so. Um, bring it home? I will say if you're a Red Sox fan, I don't like the Red Sox because they're in my division, but for your sake, I'm glad you saw it happen for a, if you're a Vikings fan, I really don't, I really don't know what to say. We pray um, for you. You know, I personally am already living with the terror that I will never see the Orioles win the World Series. can only imagine if you're a Vikings fan and you've lived through all this heartbreak for 60 years. Um, 
But yeah, I don't have much else. So then I'll wrap it up as I usually do. Reminding you guys, check out the Floater Pod on Instagram and now on Twitter, as we mentioned earlier. Shout out Yoni. Check out floaterpod.com for new articles. Um, I've got nothing else. Josh, how do we do this? There's only two oh of us and it's um, one thing. We alternate so words. three things. There are well, six I guess there's words. Six. Okay. That's what I was going to say. So, there's do you want to take words. the stay? Or the. Okay. So. I'll take the stays. Hold Without on. further ado. Safe. Stay. Stay. Loyal. And stay.